1: and welcome back to Red Room. I'm back with another Halloween special episode for you all. I hope you enjoyed this one. Um, This was the first time I actually also made a video podcast, so that video version of this episode is going to be exclusive to Patreon. Um, But before we get into this week's topic, I'm really excited for you all to listen to it. But um, just to remind you that over on Patreon, I've been doing a whole month of spooky months. So we've been doing a whole month dedicated to scary, spooky, mysterious kind of stuff. You would have heard my episode with Megan the other week, where we did a special on Samhain and the history of um, Halloween in Ireland, you know. But I also have done episodes on the Amityville horror. I did an episode on witch trials. I recently collaborated with Shannon from Fluently Forward about vampires, where we talked about the mystique and sexiness of vampires and how they've been kind of portrayed throughout the years in pop culture. It was really, really fun. And this week coming up, we've got my episodes of The Docket, with Adam O'Reilly from Mind Poppers. I think we're going to do two episodes too. So there's going to be lots and lots of bonus content. You can sign up for six euro. It doesn't matter what time of the month you sign up. If you sign up, today which is the 24th you won't get charged the 24th of November it will say so on your checkout just to make sure but go sign up you'll get the whole access to the backlog every single episode we've done so far there's over I think it's like 65 episodes at this point plus live streams there's loads and guess what also you can join a community join the Red Room community and it is one of the only Patreons in Ireland I believe that will reward you for your loyalty so there is a reward scheme with Red Room where you get little presents every three six and 12 months of your membership because I wanted to say thank you to everyone especially my my loyal day one so go over to patreon.com forward slash red room pod I'll leave you with this week's topic without further ado here it is and I'll talk to you all very soon Hello everyone and welcome back to the podcast and hello to everyone who is watching this as my first proper video podcast over on Patreon. Today we are going to be talking about a case that went viral online quite a few years ago but has recently re-emerged and come back into the discourse of online crime through the new Netflix series by Ian Brennan and Ryan Murphy called The Watcher. Now, we are going to be talking today about the real case behind this, the real facts. Okay. So, if you haven't watched The Watcher, obviously this could give away some of the plot, but I'm not going to go too much into the TV show. I think today, you know, I always say reality is sometimes scarier than fiction. And when I watch this show, the first First thing I wanted to know was what about this was embellished? What about this is true? And we're going to go into all of that today. So the achievement of buying a home in this economy, I think it's fair to say that it's something that most people strive for. We all would love to own a place to call our own, to not be paying off someone else's mortgage with inflated rent costs, but not to get political on you guys, don't worry. You know, when you're going to buy a house, everyone always says, you know, something's got to give. You're either going to be maybe living a little farther outside of town than you would like. Maybe the house needs some renovations. There could be some leaks. they could be some damp stuff, single glazed windows. How about nosy neighbors? And how about the house that is really your dream house could possibly be the subject of a psychotic stalker who does not mince their words and is not afraid to let their presence be known. This is what happened to the Broaddus family who in June 2014 bought their dream home. Six bedrooms, four bathrooms in Westfield, New Jersey which up until this time was considered one of the safest places in America to live. The house was beautiful. It was built in 1905. It had so many of the original features and it was on a beautiful street called Boulevard and it was kind of known as the nicest house on the street. You know how you think of like American houses. They're always like individual houses on this street. Not very like how we have it here in Ireland unless you're living like Aylesbury Road or some shit. This was the nice house, right? Not all the houses were as fancy as this one, but this one was up there. The the neighbours knew this was the house on the boulevard to buy. The people who lived there before the Broadduses had actually lived there since 1990. So they lived there for 24 years and they bought the house back in 1990 for $370,000, which like with inflation, just doesn't that break your heart to think you could get a house that big at some point for less than half a million? Like, honestly... One can only dream. But this house was the broadest's dream home. So Maria, who is Derek's wife, Mr. and Mrs. Broaddus, she actually grew up in Westfield. So, you know, she probably looked at this house as a young girl thinking, oh, someday I'll live there. Um, Mr. Broaddus or Derek, he was, he grew up kind of like working class from Maine and worked his way up through the insurance industry. So he was kind of at a point in his life where he had the money to spend, you know, he was in a position to spend quite a lo- lot of money. On a beautiful suburban home, which he felt would keep his family safe and happy. And the paycheck for this house, guys, it was nothing small. Derek Broaddus and Maria Broaddus spent $1.35 million on the extravagant and beautiful home. Again, their dream house. You know, they're at the point in their careers where they can do so. Why not? So not only did they spend all this money on the house, but they also committed to quite extensive renovations of the home. I believe they first started to renovate the kitchen, and there was a couple of things around the house they wanted to do up. Obviously, it probably hadn't been touched in close to 30 years, so they wanted to make it their own and to put some money into the house to make it just next level for them and their three small children now on June 5th 2014 after a couple of days uh, of the renovation starting I think they had only just begun to arrive the contractors Derek Broda's, decided to check the mail Um, obviously when you move into a new home you have a lot of stuff to kind of do you know to set up the water set up the gas the wi-fi whatever else and he went to check the post to see you know What's there? He found the usuals: drunk mail, gas, water, bills, blah, 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 blah. But amongst the letters, he also found something that kind of stood out to him. It was a white card with a handwritten note on the outside saying, To the new owner. Obviously, he was intrigued because, you know, it's not unusual when you move into a new house to maybe get a little welcome gift from the previous owners, or maybe the neighbors are going to send you a little, you know, congrats on your new home could be an invitation to a barbecue who knows to him at this point it was completely innocuous but little did Derek know that this letter and what he was about to do with this letter was going to change the course of his life forever he opened the letter to see a typed out note that read dearest
0: new neighbor at 657 boulevard allow me to welcome you to the neighborhood 657 Boulevard has been the subject of my family for decades now, and as it approaches its 110th birthday, I have been put in charge of watching and waiting for its second coming. My grandfather watched the house in the 1920s, and my father watched the house in the 1960s. It is now my time. How did you end up here? Did 657 Boulevard call to you with its force within? Do you know the history of the house? Do you know what lies within the walls of 657 Boulevard? Why are you here? I will find out. Do you need to fill the house with the young blood I requested? Was your old house too small for the growing family, or was it greed to bring me children? Once I know their names, I will call to them and draw them to me. Better for me. I asked the woods to bring me young blood, and it looks like they listened. I see you already have flooded 657 Boulevard with contractors so that you can destroy the house as it was supposed to be. Bad move. You don't want to make 657 Boulevard unhappy. You have children. I've seen them. So far I think there are three that I have counted. Are there more on the way? Who am I? There are hundreds and hundreds of cars that drive by 657 Boulevard each day. Maybe I am in one. Look at all the windows you can see from 657 Boulevard. Maybe I am anyone. Look out any of the many windows on 657 Boulevard at all the people who stroll by each day. Maybe I am one. Welcome, my friends. Welcome. Let the party begin. The Watcher. So,
1: as anyone would be, Derek was genuinely... Freaked out. He was a bit petrified and he did what any sane person would do and he contacted the police immediately. Now, the Westfield police at the time were very interested in the case. You know, they were not used to cases of stalking or threats or anything this creepy. As I said, it was kind of known to be one of the safest places to live in America. And they asked Derek, you know, do you have any? enemies do you have anyone who would want to make you feel paranoid or unsafe you know have you any like deaths I don't know you know they're trying to figure out where where this hatred and this threat threatening kind of discourse is coming from and Derek said no like there's there's nothing wrong with their they're just a regular family they don't have anything really outstanding you know they're if anything they were just really looking forward to moving into their new home now, you might have noticed that in the watcher's letter, he referenced the woods. Now, this is not the woods like you and I would think of it, as in like he was going out and doing some sort of pagan ritual. <laughs> That's where my mind goes anyway. The woods are actually the family who lived in the house before the Broadduses moved in. So they bought the house from the woods family. So the Broadduses, um wrote to the woods uh, asking them, like, had they ever heard from this person who calls himself the watcher because kind of how the letter was phrased it seems like they had been in constant contact with them and the woods actually replied saying that they had received a letter but they only ever received one letter in their 24 years of living there and it was about a week before they moved out of their house they said that they read the letter and didn't really think anything of it they thought that it just seemed like a prank or like someone one of the kids I don't know trying to scare them they literally tore it up threw it in the bin and didn't think twice about it. Now, obviously, when they heard then that the broaduses had started to get these threatening letters, they all went to the police together to kind of build upon the case. So Detective Leonard Lugo, at this point, he was the person who was in charge of the case, told the Broadduses to not tell anyone about the letters because at this point he believed all neighbours, pretty much anyone surrounding the house was a suspect and he didn't want them to know that they were kind of trying to figure out who was sending them. So even though the Broadduses didn't even really know their neighbours at this point, they were kind of in this weird position where they had to get to know them while also knowing that whoever they were welcoming into their house at the moment could be sending them these threatening letters which is just like a very uncomfortable and awkward situation to be in but that was what they were dealing with. Maria and Derek at this point said that they began to feel extremely paranoid and um, Maria said that you know whenever they would have the kids around the house they hadn't moved in yet but they were around the house quite a bit uh, she would scream their name the second that her kids went out of her sight because she was so terrified. Derek said he began to be just so paranoid about all of his neighbours. He said one day one of his neighbours came in uh, to get a tour of the home. And as he was giving the tour, they said, oh, it will be great to have some young blood in the neighbourhood. Now, obviously, this kind of sent chills down his spine, but he couldn't let on. So they were in a bit of an awkward position. But anyway, they left it in the hands of the police because they did think that the police would be able to find out who was sending the letters. The Broadduses kept going on with their renovations. They were eager to move into their home and eager to try and fall in love with their house despite the fucking freaky ass letter that they got in the mail a few days previously. You know, I can imagine at this point you're kind of thinking, you're second guessing yourself, right? You're going, maybe we're overreacting, maybe it was a prank. And also you're probably thinking like, I'm not going to let anyone ruin what should be a really happy time for me and my family. You know, we shouldn't be scared right now. We should be excited to move into this gorgeous home. So one day Maria went to the house and I believe it was to check paint swatches for their new uh, walls and she checked the mail. What came up? The usuals, bills, gas, junk mail and at the very back of the pack of mail she took in she noticed a white envelope. She immediately recognized the handwriting. And she called the police. Now, the police came to her house and they opened the letter. And the second letter, which was sent only 13 days after the first, read as following
0: Mr. and Mrs. Braddis, welcome again to your new home at 657 Boulevard. The workers have been so busy, and I've been watching you unload carfuls of your personal belongings. The dumpster is a nice touch. Have they found out what is in the walls yet? In time they will. I am pleased to know your names now and the names of the young blood you have brought me. You certainly say their names often. I noticed one of your children using an easel. Is she the artist of the family? 657 Boulevard is anxious for you to move in. It has been years and years since the young blood ruled the hallways of the house. Have you found all of the secrets it holds yet? Will the young blood play in the basement? Or are they too afraid to go down there alone? I would be very afraid if I were them. It is far away from the rest of the house. If you were upstairs, you would never hear them scream. Will they sleep in the attic, or will you all sleep on the second floor? Who has the bedrooms facing the street? I'll know as soon as you move in. It will help me to know who is in which room. Then I can plan better. All of the windows and doors in 657 Boulevard allow me to watch you and track you as you move through the house. Who am I? I am the watcher and I have been in control of 657 Boulevard for the better half of two decades now. The Woods family turned it over to you. It was their time to move on and kindly sold it when I asked them to. I pass by many times a day. 657 Boulevard is my job. My life. My obsession. And now you are too, Broaddus family. Welcome to the product of your greed. Greed is what brought the past three families to 657 Boulevard. And now it has brought you to me. Happy moving in day. You know I will be watching.
1: So obviously the Broadduses were absolutely terrified at this point. There's, like, some really skin-crawling-inducing insinuations around the children in this letter. Like, and I think while the first letter was creepy, it could easily kind of be brushed off as a prank, right? Like, it has some creepy language. They say some weird shit in it, but there's nothing really directed at them. But this letter, this letter was different. There was details in this letter that led them to believe that the watcher was stalking them Did know the house and freakishly enough, knew enough details about them to make them think that the watcher was within earshot. So number one, the watcher addressed the letter to M slash M Bradus. Now, obviously their name is Bradus but the police and, and Derek and Maria kind of thought like, okay, this... Maybe they overheard our names being said. Maybe they're so close that they heard one of our uh, contractors or the painter call for us by name and they just misspelled it. The same goes with the kids. They call the kids in the letter by their nicknames. Now, this isn't public information. Of course, someone could look up, okay, they've got kids, maybe what their names are. You know, it's 2014. This isn't 1992. Everyone has some information out there at some point at this point. You know, social media is a thing in 2014. But they called the kids by their nicknames, which again led Maria and Derek to believe that the watcher was within earshot and heard Maria or Derek call for their kids by their nickname. Like how creepy, like the last thing you want to think when you're calling your kid by their nickname to bring them to bed is that there's someone so close to your house that they can hear you really freaky. The police also told them that they, you know, looked into the letter and where it was sorted. And the letter was sorted in a nearby New Jersey postal sorting office. Now, That doesn't really tell us too much, but it does definitely rule out maybe someone just trying to spook them from their old neighbourhood or enemies or whatever else. Another weird fact that the police also found was that the first letter was marked June 4th. Now, this was before the sale of the house was even public and the Woods family who sold them the house didn't even have a for sale sign up in their front garden. So although there was open viewings and you know probably a bit of movement around the house it wasn't really that obvious that the house was even up for sale. The first letter that they received the Broadduses also arrived the first day that the contractors arrived. So you know the letter would have had to been sent even beforehand which is just another level of freaky and weird after this Derek and Maria kind of did what anyone I think in their right mind would do and they stopped bringing their kids to the house now this was a big decision for them they also decided to not tell their children about the letters you know they didn't want to freak them out because they still had all intentions of living a nice life here you know I can imagine they wanted to figure out who sent these letters but they just spent 1.3 million on a home and uprooted their family from their other home and the last thing they wanted to do was I'll probably have to think about moving house you know if anyone's ever moved you know how stressful it is the last thing you want to do is like move and then within weeks move again no thanks so although the kids weren't around the house, they continued with the renovations, they continued trying to get their house in order, and they continued to try and fall in love with this house, even though, you know, a bit of a downer that you've got a stalker on your hands. Just as they were starting to forget about the second letter and probably put it all off to a hoax, one month exactly to the day of the second letter, a third letter shows up in their mailbox.
0: Where, Where have you, you gone to? 657 Boulevard is missing you. The house is crying from all the pain it is going through. You have changed it and made it so fancy. You are stealing its history. It cries for the past and what it used to be in the time when I roamed its halls. The 1960s were a good time for 657 Boulevard, when I ran from room to room imagining the life with the rich occupants there. The house was full of life and young blood. Then I got old, and so did my father. He kept watching until the day he died, and now I watch and wait for the day when the young blood will be mine again. 657 Boulevard is turning on me. It is coming after me. I don't understand why. What spell did you cast on it? It used to be my friend, and now it is my enemy. I am in charge of 657 boulevard, it is not in charge of me, I will fend off its bad pains and wait for it to become good again, it will not punish me, I will rise again, I will be patient and wait for this to pass and for you to bring the young blood back to me, 657 boulevard needs young blood, it needs you, come back, let the young blood play again like I once did, Let the young blood sleep in 657 Boulevard. Stop changing it and let it alone. The Watcher.
1: So at this point, Maria and Derek moved their family into Maria's parents' home. They were fully spooked and I don't think anyone can blame them for it. That letter is absolutely terrifying. And, you know, this is when they kind of see their life... Honestly turning a bit upside down Like they've just bought what they thought was their dream home They can't move into it Nothing seems to be stopping the letters Like whether they stay away from the house Whether they live in the house Whether the kids are there Whether the kids aren't there The letters are just still coming The police also like They were investigating it But they couldn't really do much There's no scene of a crime They had people watching the house They weren't really seeing anything going on It it just seemed to be running dry really quick And the Broadduses just didn't know what to do Now let's have a little talk About some of the suspects at this point Okay so Suspects number one were the Langfords They are a family of Westfield They're an old family in two ways They had a lot of roots in Westfield The community But they also have lived In Westfield since the 60s. Now, it was one of Derek's neighbours that brought them to his attention. His name, I believe, was John. And he told Derek, you know, "Mm, you might want to look into them. This guy, there's a guy in the family called Michael who seems a bit strange. Now... Before we get into him we'll talk a about the family okay. So the house itself was very very close to 657 that the Langfords owned and they moved into there in the 60s which of course is kind of referenced in the Watcher's Letters. Who lived there at the time was a woman called Peggy Langford and she was in her 90s. She was the mother of the family and she still lived with all of her kids which like Obviously it's a bit strange, like her kids are in their fifties and their sixties and they all still live together. It's unusual and maybe eccentric. Um, but it's not illegal, you know? It's something that all of us <laughs> all of us people who are probably trying to find a house will have to do at some point. We might move back into Mom's house. And, you know, it doesn't make us a crime doesn't make it a crime, doesn't make us criminals, just makes us victims of a failing economy. But anyway, moving on. So let's go back to Michael Langford. As I said, John, the neighbor, told Derek about Michael Langford. And Michael Langford was an eccentric guy, okay? He was seen as a bit of an oddball. I believe John described him as a Boo Radley type, which if you've read Kill a Mockingbird, you kind of know what that's about. Just a kind of a weird guy, but maybe harmless, kind of the neighborhood kook, it could be said. He was in his 60s. And after some digging, Derek did find that Michael Langford was diagnosed with schizotypal personality disorder when he was younger. Now obviously this does not mean that he's going to be a raging psychopath who's going to leave stalker letters but you would be kind of going hmm okay that's interesting. He began to ask more questions to John about him and apparently Michael also did have a bit of a track record of spooking new people who moved into the neighborhood. He was known to kind of peek through windows when renovations were happening. He also didn't really respect people's property like he was walking across their gardens quite often. So you are kind of totting up, you know, the evidence here. Like, okay, a guy who doesn't respect someone's privacy, he's looking in through people's windows. He lives right across the dad thing. You know, he said something about like, um, my father watched the house, right, since the 60s. That is when they moved into the home. He also said that he took has been watching the house for the better part of two decades, and Michael's father died about twelve years before, so the timelines do actually add up as well. So Derek Broaddus really thought that he had the case cracked, and he brought this to the to Officer Lugo, and Officer Lugo kind of brushed it off. He said, "Look." I already suspected Michael. Uh, I brought him in. I questioned him. He completely denied uh, having any knowledge about um, the letters. And although he is a bit of a oddball, we can't exactly arrest him without any evidence that he did this. You know, he has no criminal record. Um we can't really do anything about it. He did say something that was interesting, I thought, and it did come up a little bit in the TV show. Not a spoiler or anything, but he said to them, "This isn't CSI Westfield. When the wife is dead, it's the husband." So he's kind of saying, like, "Look, the it's Occam's Razor, right? The most obvious fact, a bit the most obvious suspect, probably is the one." Now I don't know why he said this in the case of Michael Langford because. At this point he seemed like the most obvious guy but anyway he he was pretty happy that he was not the watcher. The police also told the that they spoke to Michael before the second letter was even sent and Obviously, that wouldn't really make sense. Like, if you knew the police were kind of cracking down on you and you were a suspect, why would you send a, sed- a second letter, never mind a third? So, Derek was kind of growing tired of the police at this point and he opened his own investigation because he wanted to find out, for once and for all, who the hell was terrorizing his family, right? So, he set up webcams around the house trying to see if anyone is watching it or trespassing. He hired a private investigator. Uh, one was a girl that he knew, I believe from, uh, I think it was from work Or just he just knew her anyway But she was actually the investigator That Clarice from Silence of the Lambs Was based on Which I thought was interesting And he also hired another former FBI agent Called Robert Lenehan So he had two FBI agents on the case Pretty high profile You know he had the best in the business Or so they say uh, Trying to find out who the watcher was So the house painter also brought it To the broadest's attention That one day when he was working on the house He noticed that neighbours of theirs not the Langfords now, different neighbours, were sitting out on their lawn, in lawn chairs, staring at the house. He thought it was kind of freaky, but again, it's not illegal. They're just sitting on their property and they could just be put down to being nosy neighbours. Meanwhile, Derek was still completely convinced that Michael Langford was the watcher and he did something... Kind of suspicious, you know. He sent the Langfords a letter trying to kind of coax a new note out of them. Now, obviously, the watcher had kind of expressed a lot of distress over the house being renovated. And he wrote the Langfords informing them of... Crazy renovations that he was planning on doing, kind of saying he's gonna knock the house down, he's gonna knock this down, he's gonna do this up, build this out the back, um, trying to kind of, you know, goat them into writing a new letter, but no letter was ever sent in retaliation. So the FBI were obviously working on the case and they did bring up some really interesting facts. So, number one, they noticed that the envelope, the set of the second letter, was addressed to M M/M slash M. Now, the way that that's kind of written is very old-fashioned, so they were kind of thinking this is probably someone a bit older. Apparently, also, in the letter, there were kind of mentions of the weather and some small talk, which they thought was unusual. Um, Again, something that someone younger probably wouldn't do. The sentences also had double spaces in them, uh, which is a very much an older style of writing. Uh, They also noticed that the person was very... Creative in their writing and had quite a large vocabulary, which would hint that the person was an avid reader or you know someone who was into writing and maybe read crime novels, something like that. FBI agent Lenehan also said that he believed the person to not be very macho, whatever you feel that means, because even though the letters were angry, there was no profanity in them. So maybe the person's a little bit more conservative, but they weren't swearing. I would see that as more of an old-style thing rather than, like, a sign of machoism or whatever. So he went on, Lenahan, to say that he doesn't think that the Watcher was actually likely to act on any of the threats but that there were enough typos and errors in the letter to imply that the person was kind of erratic and a little bit crazy, you know what I mean? So they're kind of saying they're a threat but they're not a major threat. Don't think they're going to turn up on your doorstep any day soon but you hardly want to be terrorised with these spooky-ass letters referencing young blood every day, you know, do you? Clarice, as we'll call her, uh, she started to look into nearby child sex offenders. She did find two, but again... Kind of ran dry. There was no way to link them to the letters. So despite all the oddities in the case, no investigation led to anything solid. There was no fingerprints. There was no digital trace. Derek got an inspector to look through the walls because obviously the watcher is referencing like what's in the walls. There was apparently nothing in the walls except for bad insulation on an old ass house. In December, uh, the Westfield police told the Broadduses that they had run out of options. So they were moved in in June. The police are kind of saying... We've got nothing Like all we have Are these letters Maybe a handful of suspects But nothing to tie them to them So So the case is kind of run dry At this point Derek is feeling Quite desperate And he does what most people do When they're feeling desperate And he called the local priest <laughs> And got the house blessed
0: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile With the price of just about everything Going up during inflation We thought we'd bring our prices
1: So at this point Derek started suffering from depression he was really depressed and I can obviously understand why I mean he thought he was making this move to protect and give a safer and more fulfilling life for his family but instead they were being terrorized by a stalker. Maria was going to see a therapist pretty regularly and she was actually diagnosed with PTSD at this point so the toll it was taking on their family was was severe. What's more the kids still didn't even know what was going on um, and they were obviously very confused you know and you always like you know that feeling like there's no worse feeling when you're moving house than being in limbo. You don't have a place to call your own. You're like in this case staying with their granny. The kids don't know what's going on. They are thinking they're moving into this beautiful new home for a great new life with a pool and all the rest but instead they're like living with their granny and their parents are really tense and I'd say like tension in general in the family was just at an all-time high you know so Derek and Maria just didn't know what to do at this point they had so much money tied up in the home and nothing they did seemed to stop the letters like whether they were there whether the kids were there whether the kids weren't there the letters were coming I mean they had three yes but like three is enough in six months to spook you out of a house let me tell you I would be terrified by the first letter Like home is meant to be somewhere where you feel safe. Home is where you run to from the scary outside world. So I couldn't imagine having that feeling that the home you just bought could be the most dangerous place for you and your family. Derek at this point was trying to consider all options, he even considered getting really expensive guard dogs and like a security team, but like the amount of time that would have taken to actually train the dogs and also like who wants to move into their new home with their kids, the full armed security team, like they were moving into this house, or so they thought, for a safe and, you know, peaceful life, not a life with armed security at the door 24-7. Nothing had actually even ever been caught on the surveillance that was set up by Derek, which was really leaving them so confused. And even though a new letter hadn't arrived at this point, they decided ultimately they just didn't feel safe. And if they don't feel safe in their new house, what's the point of moving in? And they listed the home. So, February 21st, 2015, they had, remember they'd only moved in or bought the house, should I say, in June the previous year. They listed the house for sale for $1.495, so nearly $1.5 million, which was higher than what they had just previously bought it for only eight months. Before, but they kind of argued that it was to basically kind of try and get some money back from the renovations they had done. They had also been paying like, I think, a hundred grand in property tax. So they were out of pocket, you know. And because the house had kind of been given a facelift or so they claim, they thought the house was worth more. And, you know, they get a lot of uh, flack for this, but at the same time, it's like, This is not the first time someone has flipped a house. Property developers do it all the time. They buy a house, they do it up, they sell it for a profit pretty soon after. People were kind of saying like, how dare you list the house when you haven't even lived in it? But like, what difference does it make really? Especially if they had done these renovations. Bear in mind, the letters as well were not known at this time. They were still only known between the Broadduses, the Woods family and the police. So I guess it was kind of suspicious, you know, to see this family buy a new home, do it up, and then try and sell it for a profit. But it is what it is. Even the Broaddus' family friends said that they were confused as to why they hadn't moved into the house because Derek and Maria kept saying it was for legal reasons. So there's quite a lot of evidence that they were not telling anyone about these letters at the time because they were really trusting that the police were doing their job um, and, you know, properly investigating this. So even though they asked for one point. Pretty much $1.5 million for the house. They actually got a lot of interest. As I said. Like this is the nicest house. On a really safe street. In a really safe neighbourhood. Or so everyone thought. Um, so unsurprisingly. They got a lot of interest. Now. Now. The one thing that the Broadduses did that their real estate agent was not happy about was they insisted on being completely transparent with anyone who put a serious offer on the house. They insisted on telling them about the letters and they said that they basically couldn't in good faith sell the house to someone, especially another family, um, and not tell them that this had happened to them. And I think at this point they're probably getting a little bit resentful towards the Woods family because they feel that they weren't told. Now they weren't legally obliged you are not legally to oblige you are not legally obliged to tell a new person that you got a funny letter you know you obviously you do tell if there was I think you have to tell if there was like a murder or um something else happening in the house but again there's parameters of when you have to tell that I think it's a couple years and it depends on the country whatever else One realtor who actually was representing one of the people who put an offer on the house told the Broadduses that they were being too transparent. You know, she made the argument that, like, she used to live in a house where her neighbour would constantly write her rude letters about her dog barking. But she's not expected to tell anyone who wants to buy that house offer, you know. But still, they insisted. They said that they just couldn't, in good faith, let someone move in and put them through what they had been through. So... After a few of these offers were put in, they were transparent about the letters and the offer was then removed. The Broadduses were getting angry at the the Woods family, as I said, and they decided then to file a lawsuit against the Woods family. And the premise of the lawsuit was basically that they should have been told and they were trying to sue them for, I believe, the renovation costs. Now, once this lawsuit was filed... That's a lot of the time when shit hits the fan, right? Because... Sometimes with lawsuits, it goes public, a journalist picks it up. And this is a spicy story. You know, you've got a really safe neighborhood. You've got freaky ass letters. Obviously, there was um, parts of the letters that were actually included in the lawsuit. um, So that became public. And once it became public, it became kind of viral and obviously was up for the Internet (laughs) to speculate and discuss and dissect and kind of make their life a bit more of a living hell. So while all this was going on, the house remained on the market for years. And when you look at the listings of it, it is quite sad to see like every couple years every year or so or a couple months even sometimes it's just being dropped by 100k 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 they, they cannot seem to sell this house unsurprisingly and at one point they actually met a builder and this builder suggested that you know how about you sell the house to me we're gonna knock the house down and build two houses on the lot because the lot was actually quite big and they were kind of saying like this is a loophole you know like they'd be able to split some of the profits and they went to the local authorities because they obviously had to get planning permission for this. Now, this is quite frustrating for them um, and some people could put their tinfoil hats on at this point but the new lot would measure 674 and 67.6 meters and new jersey regulations require whatever lot to be 70 feet so they were rejected their planning permission um which you know is very frustrating over three feet and there's actually also instances apparently of only a few months previously of the exact same authority giving kind of a pass to some people on smaller lots but for this one They didn't and they were back to square one. They finally um, got to rent the house. So they weren't able to sell it, but they did rent it to a couple in 2017. And this couple basically said, like, we don't care (laughs) about the letters. They probably got a discount on, you know, for how big the house was. I'm not sure what their rent was, but it was definitely, apparently didn't even cover the Broaddus' mortgage. They also had a loophole in their lease. And the loophole was basically that if they started to get letters threatening them, they could move out immediately. So they move in. And 20 days later, another letter comes. But this letter was not addressed to the new occupants of the house, but again to Derek and Maria.
0: To the vile and spiteful Derek and his wench of a wife, Maria. You wonder who the Watcher is?
1: Turn around,
0: idiots. Maybe you even spoke to me, one of the so called neighbours who has no idea who the Watcher could be. Or maybe you do know and are too scared to tell anyone. Good move. I walked by the news trucks when they took over my neighbourhood and mocked me. I watched as you watch from the dark house in an attempt to find me. Telescopes and binoculars are wonderful inventions. 657 Boulevard survived your attempted assault and stood strong with its army of supporters, barricading its gates. My soldiers of the boulevard followed my orders to a T. They carried out their mission and saved the soul of 657 Boulevard with my orders. All hail the Watcher. Maybe a car accident. Maybe a fire. Maybe something as simple as a mild illness that never seems to go away, but makes you feel sick day after day after day after day. Maybe the mysterious death of a pet. Loved ones suddenly die and cars and bicycles crash. Bones break. You are despised by the house and the watcher won.
1: Now, people actually don't think that this letter was the watcher. Um, Obviously, the the language is a lot more intense. They're being derogatory, which really wasn't something that was seen in the original watcher letters. And obviously, because also at this point, the case was public. It was well known. So a lot of people think that this was just kind of a scam. It's not really thought of as, you know, definitely a watcher letter. However, I do think it's kind of interesting that it's ended off by saying the watcher won um, because they kind of did like they're out of the house. So in 2018, The Cut um, published, who is like the New York Times Magazine, they published an article which kind of made this As viral as it is today. It's basically what got Netflix interested as well. And it's kind of from the perspective of the Broadduses. It's a really interesting read. I do encourage you to read it. It's a long one, but it's very, very good. And it does kind of go into a lot of detail that will answer a lot of your unanswered questions if I didn't get to them in this video. So in 2019, the judge actually threw out their lawsuit against the Woods family, which I say was a bit of a kick in the teeth for them. But they did finally sell the house. Now, they sold the house to Mr. and Mrs. Carr for $959,000, which is almost half a million dollars lower than their original listing price and 400 grand cheaper than what they bought it for. So again, they're not making a profit off this home. When the sale closed, the Broadduses asked their new real estate agent to leave a letter to the new owners. And the letter read, we wish you nothing but the peace and quiet that we once dreamed of in this house. And they attached a picture of the watcher's handwriting so that they would be able to recognize it if they ever got a letter. And they never have. So, since the TV show, since the original court article, there has been so many theories uh, thrown out there and developments in the case. And I'm going to run through some of the ones that I found the most interesting. Again, I'll link everything below all the articles because they are they do go into way more detail and they're really really interesting. So, New York Magazine, uh, in the court, they only released a new article, kind of with the developments. I think it was about two weeks ago when the Netflix show came out, and the author says that there was one really interesting guy in the case. So, a man called Robert Kaplow. He was an author. He wrote um, "Me and Orson Welles," and he had been kind of floated around as a suspect for a while, and. This is kind of flirted with in the TV show as well, which I find interesting. So basically he was um, also teaching English in a nearby high school and apparently he had talked about his interest in local property. One of the students said that he had an idea to start writing letters to a house, not the owners of the house, but the house itself. Um, And Kaplow also retired the month that the letters started arriving at 657 Boulevard. Now, one thing that's really, really interesting, Robert Kaplow, the guy, the teacher we're talking about, he has a brother called Richard Kaplow, who was a lawyer for the Woods family in the lawsuit. I thought that was a really strange overlap, but apparently he was written off as a suspect because they found the letters that he wrote and it was to a completely different house. So although that is quite interesting and weird overlap with the brother, he couldn't be thought of as a serious suspect throughout the years the post office employees had been interviewed they had also put cameras in the post office to see if someone was sending them from in there Like they really did bring up further and further investigation as the case went viral Like you will see that in these viral cases that the police are kind of forced to look into things a little bit more seriously but ultimately everything kind of just ran dry which is so frustrating. Derek at one point I mean Derek at a few points did some very sketchy things which I understand why people Are quite suspicious of him. So he did try and get the neighborhood Wi Fi hacked. I don't know why, because this person is just sending letters, but I guess he was trying to see if he could find what people are searching, but that was illegal. So he wasn't allowed to do that. In the article by The Cut, also, they do reveal that Derek admitted to sending threatening letters to his neighbors in Christmas 2017. Now, remember where he was at this point the police had just told him it's kind of run dry you know he's it's Christmas time he's not able to move into his beautiful new home with his family but apparently he sent these really strange letters to his neighbors and they were not openly from him they were signed as from friends of the Braddises and the note included and I quote several stories about recent acts of domestic terrorism in which signs of brewing mental illness had gone unnoticed so Kind of a veiled threat there that he admitted to sending. Now, Derek did tell the court magazine that the whole case of the house, even to this day, is like cancer and that they can never stop thinking about it. And they're still quite obsessed with trying to find out who this is. You know, they haven't, even though they have moved on from the house, they haven't moved on from the case at all. Obviously, since the Netflix uh, show came out, there has been a lot of chatter in Westfield, apparently, because people are saying like, okay, you probably made a killing on this new TV show. I mean Ryan Murphy, Netflix, big names You know what I mean But apparently it only barely covered their losses on the house As I said they were paying I think they paid a hundred grand in property tax alone Never mind the renovations And you know the half a million loss So they did make some money off it But it didn't make them a massive profit at all As far as I know they had to borrow money from their parents To buy a new house in the interim Like so they weren't doing very well financially The current state of the case is frustrating when you really think about how much has gone on with it. But according to the latest Cut article, in 2018, amid several unrelated scandals, the Westfield chief of police had to resign. And they put a new guy in charge who actually reinvestigated the case. And he said to the Cut, and I quote again, I'm not Sam Spade, but the Westfield police department fucked these people's case up. So there was probably some dilly-daddling with the police as well. Now, there was another suspect that was kind of mentioned in some online articles, which is quite interesting. So apparently, while the police were surveying the house, one day they did notice a car park near the house for a a while, and they jotted down the registration of the car. Now, the registration of the car went back to a female's house. They went to the house, they asked the girl, they told her about the letters, and she said that she has no idea what the letters are, but that her boyfriend was into reading dark video games, which I thought was an interesting turn of phrase. And she said that he did play a game called The Watcher. Now, the police looked into it and they couldn't find any video game called The Watcher. Some people online think maybe they misheard her and he played The Witcher, which isn't dark, but I guess maybe if you aren't familiar with video games, you could think it's dark. But ultimately she kind of ran dry as well they couldn't link her to the letters at all so right up until 2020 the Broadduses are still quite um, involved in this case they've actually asked the prosecutor to close the case so that they can turn over all the evidence to them so that they can kind of launch their own private investigation but the prosecutor actually denied their request and said that although the investigation isn't active it does remain open so that's really frustrating Now, apparently a few weeks after the original CUT article was released, the prosecutors decided one more thing. Now, I don't know why they didn't do this earlier on, but however, they decided to take a sample of DNA found on the letters from under the envelope flap and test it. Now, what came back was that they believe... The watcher, or at least the person who sealed the envelope, was actually female. So that was kind of strange because everyone at this point was presuming it was male. And this 100% um, removed Michael Langford from the suspects list. So they wrote to all of the neighbours basically saying like they would appreciate if they would all volunteer their DNA so that they could basically you know, rule them out or find out anyway who this watcher is. So they claim that they tested everyone. They got in touch with the Broadduses and they said that all of the neighbours were really supportive of it. They all gave their DNA and they weren't able to find a match. Now, the New York Magazine spoke to some of the neighbours and some of the neighbours said that they weren't home when they were going to give the uh, cheek swabs and that they wanted to give them, but the police never came back for them. And they also said that they are pretty sure that there was at least two neighbours who lived in very close proximity to the broaduses that would not give their cheek swab. So apparently there are two people out there who are yet to be tested. So the Broadduses also have been trying to incorporate forensic genealogy which is basically the use of online DNA databases. So basically you know when you give If you have done 23andMe or any of these genealogy tests, um, companies own your data and technically they can sell that or use it in forensic cases. Like it can be subpoenaed. It has been used, I believe, to catch serial killers in the past, which is kind of crazy. But it's quite controversial still because it's, you know, people giving DNA and then not knowing what it's being used for. That's a whole other question. um, And one reason why I haven't done 23andMe. Uh, Also, don't really want the disappointment of it just being like, you're 100% Irish, (laughs) you know what I mean? But again, unfortunately, their appeal for this was denied by a judge, so they weren't able to run the tests. A lot of people, and a really kind of common speculation around this case, is that it was a hoax, that basically the Broadduses bought this house, they were out of their depth. they couldn't afford it, they committed to all these renovations that they didn't want to follow through on, so they, I don't know, decided to break this elaborate hoax and write questions, uh, write letters to themselves. Some people think that it was um, Derek Broaddus who kind of couldn't swallow his own ego and instead of telling his wife that they made a mistake buying the house he wrote the letters to scare them so that he was the only one in on it and obviously they used the fact that he wrote these other letters as you know backup to it which could be true but like ultimately it's kind of being disproven because when you think about it what really is the motive for them to not only write themselves letters but for if you're going to take the, that Derek Broadus was the only one in on it, why would he also write a letter to the Woods family? Like, he would have also apparently had to write a letter to the Woods family before they even viewed the house. So this would mean that he would already know that he was entering into something financially Uh, disastrous for his family which wouldn't really make sense also like they didn't really profit from it at all like it's not like they if they sold the house for 1.5 maybe but you know at the end of the day they were completely transparent about the letters to people who were putting offers on the house and they didn't have to so why would they knowingly enter something and be kind of like oh we're gonna tell you about these letters even though we know they're fake letters and make you not buy the house like also, like if something happened in a house like a murder or a suicide that you have to disclose, it's a known fact that this usually is disastrous to the value of the home so again it wouldn't make any sense profit wise. In 2014 there also wasn't you know lucrative Netflix deals everywhere and they only really published the story in the cut. Now they might have been paid for this but it's unlikely. Um, It probably more so just got their story out there from their own perspective but they weren't someone who was known to be doing the rounds on press you know they weren't on Oprah or Wendy or any of the daytime talk shows, uh, looking for attention. And it makes me think of the Amityville case that we covered at the start of October, which I do believe probably was a hoax and a bit of a money-making racket. And while the only person who really profited from that was the author of the book, the family did make some money and I don't know. This one to me though just doesn't scream hoax, although there is some weird shit about Derek brought us. Don't get it twisted he was writing those letters which is very very strange. Now of course the internet has been digging for years and there's been loads of theories thrown around. People have suspected everyone from former housekeepers to ex-lovers of Maria, family enemies all the rest but nothing solid has really ever come up and the watcher still remains at large but not sending any letters. That brings me to the final theory that I do think is quite interesting so let's go back to Allison and Andrew Carr, they are the people that they sold the house to, the people who bought the house for $959,000 when the house, you know, not even a year before, sold for $1.3 million. That is Quite the discount now they are two people who have never received a letter and they're also people who lived in Westfield beforehand people talk about them and say you know they lived in Westfield they lived apparently only down the road um, if they really wanted this house for a discount would they be inclined to like terrorize the Woods family and terrorize the Braddys out of it and then Swiping in at the last minute and getting that house for that sweet ass discount, again, it would be kind of a long winded thing to do just to get a house. But I don't know, people be crazy if we if we know anything about the uh, the property market at the moment, especially in Ireland, when you hear the bidding wars going on, would you do it? I don't know. I don't think I'd terrorize someone out of a house, but you know. Give them an L nudge. I'm joking. Anyway, I would love to know if you've watched the show, what did you think of it? If you didn't know um, any of the actual facts of the case, let me know what you thought. For me, I couldn't believe that one thing that wasn't fabricated was the insanity of the letters. I was really, really surprised that the letters were quite as scary as they led on to be in the show um i hope everyone who has watched on patreon enjoyed the first ever proper video podcast we've done live streams and stuff like that but i hope you all enjoyed this video podcast for everyone listening on spotify i would really appreciate it if you rated the show five stars and subscribed i'll be back soon with more episodes and if you want weekly ones you know where to go talk to you all later bye